open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 to 34. Matthew chapter 6. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not, not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? You have little faith. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Well, good morning, everyone. And uh, good to see you. Well, good for you to see me, I suppose. Uh, my name is Gavin, and I'm from Gregory Hills Anglican Church. I'm the pastor of the congregation. I tell you, I miss you guys very much. Uh, please keep your Bibles open, friends. Today, we are thinking about what we treasure the most in life. Uh, many of the things that we enjoy, perhaps even treasure, have been taken away from us, haven't they, because of COVID-19. Many of our idols, things that we turn to for meaning and happiness other than God, have been taken away as well. COVID has actually forced us to question where it is that we find our true joy and meaning in life. We've been, we've been forced to question where our true treasure lies. I think the past month has truly humbled people everywhere across the world. Uh, we have been forced to realise that perhaps we're not as in control of our lives as we thought we were. So this morning, I want to ask you, where does your treasure lie? What brings you real happiness and joy in life? Is your treasure truly in the Lord who is everlasting, or is it somewhere in the world which is temporary? Well, I suppose by now you've been wondering why I've got a plastic credit card stuck to my forehead and a toy aeroplane hanging around my neck. 
Not to mention a West Tigers scarf and a Holden Racing Team jacket. Well, these things represent our idols. They represent the things that we treasure, sometimes even more than Jesus. I wonder, do you treasure travel and holidays too much? Travel and holidays are good, but do you treasure them too much? Right now, they've been taken away from us, haven't they? I wonder, do you treasure sport? I like sport. I like the West Tigers. Perhaps you treasure sport. Well, sport's been taken away from us right now, hasn't it, as well? Maybe you love motor racing or your car in general. Well, motor racing's kind of been taken away from us as well, hasn't it? I wonder, do you treasure wealth or shopping or material things in general? I thought about putting my own credit card on my forehead, but then I didn't think I wanted to uh, live stream my credit card number. So I've got this plastic one from the kids' toy room. Um, these things have been taken away too, largely, haven't they? We can still shop online, I know. But in many ways, uh, our wealth has many, many ways, for many people, has been taken away. Our uh, ability to shop has been taken away, hasn't it, as well? So I wonder, are you miserable right now without these treasures in your life? Or do you still have the immeasurable joy of knowing Jesus, which Paul felt as he wrote his letter to the Philippians from prison, an immeasurable joy because of what and who he has in Christ? I wonder, are you truly spiritual or are you actually a materialist at heart? Materialism is like a great tether Think of the nine cruise ships that are stuck off our coast at the moment. Uh, materialism is like a great tether that ties a cruise ship to the dock. It ties a Christian person to the things of this world, making it impossible for them to move on and live for the heavenly kingdom. The greedy person who's ambitious for the things of this world, rather than ambitious to see Jesus' name made great in this world, will find themselves stuck in this world, both spiritually and physically. At best, they're unable to gather speed in their ambition to accumulate treasure in heaven because of their tether to the world that is materialism. At worst, they're unable to enter the kingdom of heaven at all as they choose the things of this world to be their idol, their Lord and God. So look at verse... Um, today we're going to think about where your treasure lies... Is it in the things of this world or is it in the Lord Jesus? Um, you may have downloaded the sermon outline. If you did, that's great. If you didn't, that's cool. Don't worry about it. Um, please keep your Bibles open, though, and we're going to look at Jesus' command in verse 19. The first word in verse 19 and 20 are commands, and it says this, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal, Instead, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin and thieves don't exist. Jesus isn't asking nicely. He commands his disciples, and the one who refuses to obey is not his disciple. Do not store up for yourself treasure in heaven. Store up for yourself treasure in Sorry, do not store for yourself treasure on earth. Store for yourself treasure in heaven instead. Two commands that disciples must obey. 
But when you look at what, the, what Jesus offers and what the world offers, you've got to have rocks in your head not to want to want to be his disciple. When Jesus said, take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light, he really meant it. Jesus goes on in verses 22 and 23 to unpack how it is we often get ourselves into trouble. The eye is a lamp of the body, he says. Our eyes don't literally light up the path for us, Astro Boy style or anything, though that would be really cool, I reckon. Um, what we see often leads to what we want, which leads our heart and our desires. Um, when David saw Bathsheba bathing nude on the rooftop, his brain clocked off, his loins took over, and he decided to commit adultery. That didn't quite work out because her husband kept getting in the way, so he then committed murder, and then committed adultery with this poor widow. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, when your eye causes you to sin, do what? Gouge it out. For the eye is a lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, focused on healthy things, focused on your own husband, your own wife, God's word, focused on holy living, then your body will follow. Your legs, hands, mouth, heart will follow. If your eyes are unhealthy, focus on that woman or man that isn't your wife. Focus on your neighbor's car that you covet or your neighbor's dress that you covet or the uh, gaming console that your friend has that you don't have. Focus on that job that you want or that school you want your kids to go to but can't really afford. And your body follows into that darkness of lust and covetousness, of greed and idolatry. And how great is that darkness? Jesus goes on to say that no one can serve two masters. Either you'll love the one and hate the other or hate the one and love the other. No one can serve both God and money. But I think we sometimes try, don't we? We give it a red hot go. Jesus said you cannot serve two masters. Now in the first century, <clears throat> when slavery existed, often slavery wasn't a bad thing, a, a good uh, master would provide good housing and work uh, for his slaves and treat them well, but you couldn't belong to two different masters. You either belong to that master or the other master, but you can't belong to two. You have to only belong to one. This kind of scares the pants off me, friends, for my sake and yours. We are swimming in obscene wealth in our country, and there's a great, great temptation to worship it instead of God. There's a term, temptation to be slave to our wealth rather than God. What scares the pants off me isn't that some of us worship... Is, sorry, what scares the pants off me is that some of us worship mammon instead of God. We think we can worship both God and mammon. Mammon is anything material, sport, holidays, comfort, looking good. Certainly, mammon is money and wealth. We think we can worship both. We can be Christians who also find great treasure in the world and worldly things, but Jesus says you can't do that. You cannot serve both God and mammon. Either you love the one and what? Hate the other. You'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. So anybody who divides his or her allegiance between God and mammon has already given their allegiance to mammon instead of God. 
God can be served only with an entire and exclusive devotion. And this is simply because he is God. Isaiah 42, 8 says, I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not yield my glory to another or my praise to idols, which we just threw away. To try to share him with other loyalties is to have already opted for adultery. Now, with that in mind, with all that in mind from the beginning of Matthew chapter 1, and certainly from the beginning of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, with that framework in place, then we come to this wonderful passage where Jesus calls us to not worry as his followers. Point two. There has not been a more timely moment for this teaching from the Bible in my lifetime, in the last two, three generations, and then right now. Brothers, sisters, friends... Do not worry. Oh, sure. Easy to say until you've actually got COVID or someone you love gets COVID. What then? Even then, do not worry. Look with me in your Bibles at verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food? and the body more than clothes. Look at the birds of the air. They're all good. God has them sorted, and you're much more valuable than them. Verse 28, look at the grass and the flowers. They're all good too. God has them sorted as well. They're actually more splendid looking than the great King Solomon himself was. Anyone seen a tulip festival? Amazing. And you are far more important than plants, which are here today and tomorrow may well be burned up, as they were in summer this year in Australia. So verse 31, do not worry about eat and drink and clothes. That is for pagans, it says, which simply means those who do not believe in Jesus. Now, don't hear Jesus wrong. It's good to eat and drink and get dressed. But we must not obsess over what we eat. Despite the plethora of cafes, restaurants and marketing dollars that goes into encouraging us to obsess over what we eat, We must not obsess over what we eat. We must not obsess over what we drink, despite the plethora of bars and pubs and marketing dollars that goes into beer and wine commercials. We must not obsess over what we drink. We must not obsess over what we wear, meaning how we look in general. Despite the plethora of clothing stores and gyms and all those kinds of things, and even plastic surgery these days, despite the plethora of shopping centres and marketing dollars, you get the picture. We must not obsess over how we look and what we wear. These are not things for the disciple of Jesus to be preoccupying their mind with. Rather, look at verse 33. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, And all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry. Just in case you missed the command in verse 25 and verse 31, he says it again here in verse 34. Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Ain't that the truth right now? And ain't that great advice right now? Each day has enough trouble... So do not worry. So how do you do that? Friends, I don't know about you, but 
These past three months with bushfires and floods in Australia and our COVID across the world, I have been worried. Have you been worried? I can't see you all nodding, but I'm confident that you are. How do we stop worrying? Not stop caring, not stop being diligent and proactive. How do we stop worrying, stressing? How do we stop manufacturing anxiety in our minds and hearts? Look back at the very first word in verse 19 for its key. Therefore, do not worry. What is it therefore? Therefore, I hear you ask. Good question. We must relate this therefore, this conclusion of Jesus, to the teaching which has led up to it in order to drive out worry. In the previous verses, Jesus has called us to think and then he's called us to action. He invites us to look clearly and coolly, calmly, at the alternatives before us and to weigh them up carefully. Do we want, we want to accumulate treasure? Yes, we do. Then which of the two possibilities is the more durable, God or mammon? We wish to be free and purposeful in our lives. Yes, we do. Then what must our eyes and consequently our hearts be focused in on? God or mammon. As Christians, we desire to serve the best master. And perhaps you're not a Christian yet, but you desire to serve the best master and you want to put your trust in Jesus today, which I strongly encourage you to do. He is the best master. We must consider what is more worthy of our devotion, God or mammon. Only when we have grasped with our minds the comparative durability of the two treasures, God and mammon, the corruptible and the incorruptible, that's the temporary mammon and the everlasting God. Only when we've grasped with our minds the comparative usefulness of the two eye conditions, light and darkness, the comparative worth of the two masters, God and mammon, only then... Are we ready to make our choice to worry or not? Only when we've made our choice for heavenly treasure, for light, for God, are we then equipped to obey the command not to be anxious about our lives nor about our bodies, but rather to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. In other words, our basic choice of which of two masters we intend to serve will radically affect our attitude to both of them. We shall not be anxious about the one for we have rejected it, but concentrate our mind and energy on the other for we have chosen him. We shall refuse to become engrossed in our own concerns, but instead seek first the concerns of God. My friends, if you reject God, you will be obsessed with worry about the world, especially right now. If you choose to entrust yourself to God, find your treasure in Jesus, you will find comfort in the knowing that he is in control of all things, even COVID-19. And the result will be that you do not worry. Friends, our idols are being stripped away. Praise God. I saw a news report the other day about the plummeting pollution levels 
due obviously to the lack of present industry and motor vehicles on the road. Beijing has never been so clearly visible from the air since the, the 80s. God using COVID-19 is clearing away the pollution that is modern materialism and our idols, blessing us with a clearer view of Jesus, our true treasure. How comforting it is to see Jesus more clearly. How relaxing to see our loving and almighty Lord afresh with clear vision. Point three, the Father's treasure measure is his Son. How do you think God in heaven measures his treasure? What or more to the point, who does God treasure? The Father loves the Son. He always has from the beginning of time. Three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, living together in perfect love and perfect peace before the beginning of time. Then God made the universe through the Son, by the Son, and for the Son, Colossians chapter 1. And the crowning achievement of his creation was what? The pinnacle of his creation was who? It was you. Look in the mirror. You are God's treasure as well. You are loved by God, cherished by him, so do not worry. Friends, at a time when we are rightly concerned about the welfare of our bodies, I'm speaking to you through a camera because we're taking bodily care seriously. Permit me to ask, as Christians, if you're considering Jesus, and perhaps you're considering Jesus out there for the first time, permit me to challenge you with this question. Are we overly concerned, even obsessed with the welfare of the body? How to feed it, clothe it, warm it, cool it, refresh it, relax it, entertain it, titivate it and titillate it. So obsessed that we're grossly downplaying, perhaps ignoring the spiritual reality of our sonship in Christ. The reality that we're already seated in the heavenly realms in Christ spiritually. If your faith is in Jesus, you are saved already from everything, from all bad things this world has to offer, from sin, Satan, and death. Your body is but a temporary vessel within which to serve, glorify, and honour Jesus. It is but a carriage transporting you, you whom the Father loves, on your way to the heavenly realms. Now, please do not misunderstand this. Jesus Christ never, neither denies nor despises the needs of the body, the vessel. He made it. He has just taught us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. So what's he saying here then? He is emphasising that to become engrossed in material comforts is a false preoccupation. It betrays a false view of human beings as if they were only bodies needing to be fed, watered, clothed and housed. And of human life, if it were merely a phys physiological mechanism, needing to be protected, lubricated, and fueled. And my notes have just run out, run out on the teleprompter. I apologise for that. Um, an exclusive preoccupation with, uh, with food, drink, and clothing could be justified only if physical survival were the be-all and end-all of existence. We just live to live and then we die, and that's it. 
If that were true, and it isn't, then indeed how to sustain the body would be our primary concern. It's understandable that in emergency conditions, the struggle to survive must take precedence over other things. Hence, we're self-isolating to protect ourselves and others. But for this to be so in ordinary circumstances, that's a reductionist view of humanity. And that's totally unacceptable. To think that to care for the body is the most important thing, that downgrades our humanity to that of the animals, to the birds of the air and the plants of the fields. Look at the birds of the air today and let them be your preacher. Literally, later on, look at the birds. Your Father in heaven sustains them. The plants in your garden, the flowers in the field, God sustains them. How much more does he love you? The one for whom his one and only son died. Is physical well-being really a worthy object with which to devote our lives? Has human life no more significance than this? As for you, my disciples, Jesus says they are a hopelessly unworthy goal. They are not the supreme good in life. Our bodies are not the supreme good in life. Worry is incompatible with the Christian faith for it denies the ever-loving goodness and provision of the Father. In fact, it despises him and upholds mammon, worldly things, worldly concerns as our ultimate treasure. This ought not to be so, not for followers of Jesus. The Apostle Paul was beaten and imprisoned, but found everlasting joy, for even in prison he had Christ. Three points of application very quickly. Firstly, if you're a follower of Jesus, your ambition is not for wealth accumulation, but it's what's, for what's best for the kingdom of God. It's clear that God provides. It doesn't mean you can sit on your hands and say, ah, oh, God will provide, I don't need to do anything. His means of provision are typically a job or some money, a loving family, a loving church. But our ambition isn't the best of an accumulation of material things. Our ambition isn't for ultimate comfort for my body. Our ambition is what's best for God's kingdom. We focus our time and energy. We use our bodies to honour God, not just to comfort ourselves. Secondly, as Christians, we need to care about and love those who don't have their daily basic needs. In our uh, community, in our world, we need to be mindful of those who don't have the basic needs and be generous with what we have. And I can tell you that making Jesus your Lord rather than mammon will lead you to generosity. Your attitude to your mammon will be to hold it loosely and to be generous with it as you hold tightly to Jesus. If you worship the things of this world, you will hold them tightly and you won't be generous with them. Hold Jesus tightly and hold the things of this world loosely and be generous with them to the poor in our world, in our community, especially at this time, and in the world as we're able. I love the Compassion Program, which supports children in poverty with all of their basic needs, food, water, and clothing, and their greatest basic need, which is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thirdly, and finally, friends, remember that God is king and sovereign over all things, and then relax. 
Knowing that we need to provide for our families, provide for our church, provide for those in need, remember and be clear that God is king over all those things. God is king over our lives. He's infinitely powerful and infinitely loving. His treasure is his son and his treasure is you, his people who he gave his son for. When you become about clear, like the air at the moment, when you become clear about Jesus' lordship, his majesty and splendour, your ambition to accumulate wealth and comfort on this earth will rapidly diminish. And your ambition to see Jesus' name honoured, upheld in your workplace, upheld in your home, upheld in your kids' school, in your street, in your suburb, in our nation and in the world, that ambition will rapidly increase. Jesus is our true treasure. He's worth not just living for, but taking up our cross and dying for. Friends, I know this time is hard. I'm a real people person, and I'm finding this time a struggle. But ask yourself today, and again tomorrow, and then Tuesday as well, and perhaps every day, where is your true treasure? Is it in Jesus, who is incorruptible? who is everlasting, who is all good, who loves you truly. How can you use this day given to you by God? Don't worry about tomorrow. How can you use this day, this Sunday, however strange your day looks right now, how can you use it to glorify your Lord in heaven? Let me pray. Loving Father and Almighty God, we thank you, our great treasure. Lord, what a precious gift we have in you. The one who created all things, who sustained all things, and who is mindful of us, little us. We thank you for Jesus, whom you sent to die in our place, who rose again, who is preparing a place for us in the heavenly realms. We thank you for him, and Lord, may we be more focused on him than ever before, recognising the great treasure that we have in him, holding just a bit more loosely to the world around us, which is in chaos temporarily, it seems, for us, but it's not ever in chaos for you. Lord, you are in control of all things, and that is a great comfort, so we pray by the work of your Holy Spirit that we will not worry that we'll trust you all the more, that we'll love those you put in our midst, love as we're able over modern technology and other creative and inventive ways that we might bring greater glory to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.